0: in Berkeley, 94.1, KPFB in Berkeley at 89.3, KFCF in Fresno, 88.1, kpfa.org. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. This is Jennifer Stone, with Stone's throw, my weekly, weekly shot in the dark. The darkness intensifies as we watch the historic burning of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Flames rising high into the sky. The spiral collapsed, oh, eight centuries. Ah, most of us saw this spectacle, uh... On a screen, on a TV, uh, I have a large TV screen, and the images were, <laughs> are stunning. Uh, when the background is dark and the image of the cathedral uh, is up against that fiery sky, the flames, uh, it looks like uh, the paintings of Hieronymus Bosch, you know, ancient Gothic cathedral Hieronymus Bosch came along a little later, but uh, uh, he did these murals, you remember? He painted Genesis, uh, Garden, Eve, and Adam, savagely sweet. Uh, finally, images of hell. Oh, those reds and those ambers and golds, the fires, it's like Dante's Inferno. Uh, <laughs> eight centuries to worship. In that place, uh, I know I know what the people there, well, I imagine what they might be feeling uh, over here on this side of the Atlantic. I heard it whispered that this was just retribution, you know, for this evil, these evil priests and what they have done. Uh, well, that might be a point, the abuse suffered by... So many for so long, people who came only to worship. They came to the altar to look for God. <laughs> the altar boys found something entirely different. Anyway, I didn't know about all that. I do still wonder about the, what you call that, the uh, primate grandiosity that built those things in order to keep the people. Down or at least subservient uh you, you remember back when uh, the people could not read, only the clergy could read the laity just did what they told uh uh actually, I think about I think about those priests, and I try to figure out for myself the distinctions between sin and crime. I mean, our very own president has that problem. He states that his sins don't amount to crimes. Well, at least, he uh, says, only, uh, only legal wrongs count. I, I think there might be some point to that. Yes. Remember, everything Hitler did was legal. All I know, see, that turns it around. All I know is that this traumatic event in Paris... Sets me, us, sets me thinking about the apocalypse, the end of the world, death of the gods, the death of man and the gods. That's Ragnarok up north in the Norse legends. Uh, I've been watching the Vikings on television, and they, they talk about Ragnarok. I love the role of women in their legends. Uh, Anyway, uh, all the signs are here right now, today, all around us. Some folks tell us that our tragic sense is a little overblown, but others tell us it's doomsday. Floods, fires, hurricanes, the seas rising, climate catastrophe... Uh, it's all in revelations, that is, in the Christian Bible. Uh, it's part of most legends, the end of the end of all things that humanity knows, obviously <clears throat> the earth will go on forever, whether we are here to enjoy it. That's another story anyway. All the human legends are about creation and destruction. This circle that man is caught in, yes. The wheel, the wheel. Uh, returning to the place where we started in, uh, yes, in the old days, what they call now. Uh, <laughs> yes, in uh, back in the day. I love that expression. Anyway, I keep looking at the whirlpool, whirlpool in the center, we know the center will not hold. hmm The center will not hold. Mere chaos descends upon us. <laughs> the poets just love that stuff. Anyway, I think it's all very familiar. I've been there, done that, day, Vu. was uh, all news to me. Uh, I think it may be uh, an effect of my age. At the age of 85, I tend to see symbolism everywhere. Portents, warnings, uh, reminders. No, Then I stop and I look around and I ask myself, are these the foretold last days? I think that some people are just dramatizing. I've got an awful feeling that we're going to go on a hell of a long time probably making more and more mistakes and having more and more difficulties, but I look at that fire in Paris, and that's no dream. It's certainly no fantasy. Uh, The chaos in our country is not a fantasy. Uh, It's not a play, folks. This is not a play that we're doing here. We're trying to continue, trying to continue doing what we have struggled with in the past, I was just standing outside here in the hall, and we started to speak of Roe versus Wade, and I thought, how could anything, how could anything like that, you know, crop up again? Uh, You remember we used to say uh, five steps forward and, uh, uh, you know, two steps back, but I'm seeing it the other way lately. I'm seeing, you know, five steps forward and seven steps back. Anyway, as that cathedral burned, the television coverage uh, included little bits from an old movie, you know, the old movie with Charles Lawton. (laughs) I see how most of us interpret the world through the movies we grew up on. Uh, That old movie, the one with Charles Lawton, was called The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's from a novel by the 19th century French writer Victor Hugo. Uh, Maureen O'Hara is the damsel in distress. She's carried to sanctuary, sanctuary, by the hunchback, the hideously deformed creature who ends the movie asking the universe, why, why? Thought about that idea of sanctuary? We've had sanctuary cities here in this country, and uh, I think that we <laughs> got to start that business again. Sanctuary. Uh, I think. Uh, well, it's happening now at the border. Uh, I think. I think the the scene that I was most moved by thinking of Charles Lotterer, Charles Lot, yes. He was out on the facade of a great monument, one of those carved gorgons. They look out over Paris. uh, And the hunchback, he comes back up there on the facade and he returns to his place, his home, uh, near the bell tower, so to speak. Uh, He's all alone. He clings to his lonely perch and he looks out uh, and uh, he looks at one of the... Figures there, uh, and he asks, <laughs> he asks, Why could I not be made of stone like thee? I'll never forget that I was a mere child, I think, in my early teens, probably fourteen or fifteen, and the sight of that actor who had really, really gone overboard to make himself look grotesque. And he uh, is suffering the worst humiliations a human can suffer. And he looks at this statue and says, Why could I not be made of stone like thee? I remember many years ago choosing the name Stone. It was sometime in the 1960s. That line was on my list of wise, you know. History and life uses that word. Uh, It's an amazing word. Some philosopher said, the soul is in the stone. My favorite is uh, the quote, I shall find a stone, a white stone, and in that stone shall be a new name. About that time, I threw away all my pseudonyms. There were a lot of them. uh, And decided to be Jenny Stone. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Every stone has a message. There's something in there, something to learn, to know. I don't know if it's back before, certainly before human beings. But... uh, if you listen, you put your ear t- to the stone, it will speak. It will whisper to you. Uh, of course, when people say, oh, let's go get stoned, that's not very profound, but uh, I don't mind the word stoned. I think that's pretty cool. It's, drugs means drugs. It's not altogether a mundane way to use the word. Uh, oh, I digress. As always, I digress. I was speaking of the loss of a great medieval Gothic cathedral. I wanted to tell you, uh, there's a TV series on cable, the one from Ken Follett's book. Uh, uh, It's uh, still on HBO, if you want to look it up. It's all about the building of the great uh, Gothic cathedrals. There's a young man. uh, He yearns to create something, something he wants to reach up to God in an age when very very few men and ever fewer women could actually read or even read the bible uh, only the uh, only the, the the clergy let's call them only the church boys uh they had access to what i guess was called knowledge then all the rest of the people were illiterate uh It was, what, uh, the 16th century before we had anything like uh, literate populations. Back in those days, in the beginning, in the days when the cathedral was built, visual images were the whole story. It was the visual images that taught everything, including the Word of God. Words of the Bible, well, that was all in Latin. (laughs) What the children saw what the people, the peasants, I don't want to use that word, I don't know why people don't use that word, it's a perfectly good word, but they looked up at the stained glass, Ah, they looked at that gothic arch curved upwards there, and of course they saw in those buildings both heaven and hell. It's a little scene in Ingmar Bergman's movie, The Seventh Ste- Seal. It just gives us a very brief glimpse of one medieval painter at work. and It was absolutely trivial. It made it look like he was uh, washing the dishes, you know. Anyway, I think that Ingmar Bergman did not want to romanticize the old cathedrals and painters uh, I don't know. I looked at some of it and I remember the first time. The first time I walked into a huge church and saw a giant stained glass window. My companion, the fellow I had with me, said, a thing of beauty is a joy forever. Well, I have to tell you, he didn't last long. I always said, yes, a a thing of beauty is a joy forever, dear, or not just as the case may be. This week, I searched my files. I wanted to find poems written about the apocalypse. Uh, the mood today is possibly a little apocalyptic. Uh, it's one of those things. The privilege of age allows me to go off on a tangent here, uh, the zeitgeist, the zeitgeist uh, of our time. Decades, half a century ago, I was 35. I was looking forward to Ragnarok, the Holocaust, the end of all things. I kept all the, well, as many as I could find, of the old legends. And it's in every opera, poem, or play. It was so interesting. Things were what I would call disintegrating, crumbling. It wasn't just T.S. Eliot in those days. I remember I discovered KPFA about that time. Would you believe KPFA back in the day? Ah, uh, 35, there I was out teaching, teaching school in Oakland, And I turned on my radio in the morning, and I heard Chris Welch. A little later, I discovered what was called goddess culture. Blew the top off everything. The counterculture had been primarily masculine for me. Uh, The beats were boys in general, although uh, there are a number of women. I have tried to read some of them on Cape F.A., but uh, basically... Basically, what I came up with was goddess culture and I studied the maiden, the mother, and the crone and I went back to the pagan, the pagan worldview. Uh, I wrote poems. There's one here called The Crone's Coming, yes. (laughs) I found descriptions of the crone in Barbara Walker's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets. If you want to find that in the library, it's called the Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets. And uh, I took my chronology there. Uh, I understood that this is what you call that, a uh, uh, submerged culture. It's always been here, you know, it's always been with us. Uh, you remember a book, uh, what was it, I'm trying to think of the name of it, uh, mm, I'm losing that. Uh, the uh, mm, I'll have to wait till next time. They made movies and films about it, but it was about the, oh, I know, The Mists of Avalon. That's what it was, The Mists of Avalon. <laughs> Angelica Houston played the old goddess in the movie, and... She and Merlin mourn the death of the old world, the old gods. And they try to mutate, uh, kind of, they they transmogrify. And the old goddess becomes, you'll forgive me, the Virgin Mary. Uh, you can kick that around uh, if you like. But I think I, I prefer uh, Christ's grandmother. Her name was Anna. Christ's grandmother was my favorite figure. Uh, Now, in Barbara Walker's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets, you can read about something called a mother's curse. This is very old, and it struck me, oh, in the middle, or the, what is it, maybe the last century, let's say, 1980s, right, it came to me, that something was happening. Uh, The mother's curse, it's called a spell. it comes from the Norse idea of the fate which will overtake the world at doomsday. This will be uh, a result of the goddess's disgust at the action of men and gods. Crone mother will lay her doom upon the world. Spirits from the hot southern lands of Mutzpelheim will begin to destroy the earth. The Mutzpelheim. I looked up here in Northern California and It was burning. One of our dear uh, one of our dear workers here at Cape Efe Susan Stone, she lost a home up there. I looked up there and I thought, yes, that's the Mutzpelheim. The Mutzpelheim. I think, uh, well, I still think it's a mythic reminder of Kali, the destroyer. Her original territory was, of course, hell. Uh is another word i like to use in the context of uh, <laughs> the great mother yes uh, it's called miasma it's a miasma it's called uh, spiritual pol- spiritual pollution that's the greek it's a highly contagious evil fate which is brought on by crimes against a mother or against the mother. Yes, crimes against the mother goddess's traditional law. I think of the old uh, city. It was a city called Biblos. We get the word Bible, I believe, from Byblos. Uh, it's the city of the great mother. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to live there. Uh, now, the temple... At Biblos was real. It was the city of the Great Mother. It is the oldest continually occupied temple in the world. It is the famous seat of the ancient Semitic Great Goddess. She was variously known as Oboy. Oh <laughs> in the Encyclopedia, I read here, I believe, ancient, ancient names. <laughs> yes. Oh, the great goddess. Well, Astarte, uh, Ishtar, Isis, Hathor. Oh, there's a million of them. We got a million of them. The earliest libraries were attached to her temple. Thus the word Biblos came to mean any holy book. Yes, we've got that little Bible. <laughs> I see people hold it up and say that it is the received word. (laughs) It is the truth. Oh, yes, it's interesting. I was thinking of all the literary masterpieces I know, and which one of them could be taken, Uh, what is it, Uh, for the truth, for the actual living truth. It gets pretty funny if you think about it for very long. Uh, What I like to do, is take the old masters and turn them around. Uh, I think sometimes it's a parody, other times I just want to steal from them. I have here a rewrite of the Ten Commandments, Commandments for Women. I'll save that because the last time I read that on KPFA, because of the rhythm, rhymes, people called up and yelled at me for reading. The Bible, they thought it was the original Ten Commandments, when, of course, it was just telling women, you know, how a woman must live. Uh, Indeed, indeed. uh, I have next a poem called The Crone's Coming. It's an homage to W.B. Yeats. His poem, yes, his poem, The Second Coming is the inspiration for this parody. All you literary folks, all you English majors out there, you're familiar with the Second Coming. You know it well. Now, my rewrite, oh, this is a crime, of course, against literature, but my rewrite of the Second Coming is The Crone's Coming, and I'll read it to you now. Turning and turning in the cauldron's eye. The maiden cannot see the mutzpelheim. Things fall apart. The center will not fold. Mere patriarchy is loosed upon earth. The blood-cursed tides at flood. Everywhere the ritual of innocence is drowned. Men lack all conviction, while the boys are full of passionate mediocrity. Surely some muttspell is at hand. Surely the crone's coming is at hand. The crone's coming. Hardly are those words out when a vile image out of mother's miasma taints my sight. Somewhere in the sands of his desert is a shape with steel body, the head of a phallus, a gaze blank and pitiless as a gun is aiming its slow death, while all about it real shadows of the despairing desert birds. The darkness drops again. I grow old. I grow old. Centuries of cold stone silence, on the Galilean's cross, till the white nightmare, her hour come round at last, flees towards Biblos, to be mourned. Once again, my deepest apologies to W. B. H. I guess, I guess, uh, you know, imitation is a form of flattery, but I, I don't know if he'd take it that way. Uh, underneath the Crone poem are too many sad, rough poems, so I'll pick up one that I think is kind of amusing. Uh, it's about the local literati. <laughs> oh, we've had such fun, such fun. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, to be 35 again, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85 is what I am. This little sketch is called Café Mediterranean. Oh, boy, that was, that was our, oh, that was our meeting place. We sat down at those tables to plan the revolution, talk treason. Telegraph Avenue, you center of the known universe. T.S. Eliot told us we'd arrive at the place where we started and know it for the first time. The wheel has come full circle. That is what revolution means. These are the bad old days. This has been Jennifer Stone with stones throw until next time go easy and if you can't go easy go as easy as you can the boys, there's your picture drop the shadow Bernie Sanders is a Democratic Socialist. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a Democratic Socialist. To define just what a socialist is, KPFA will present Bhaskar Sunkara, editor of Jacobin Magazine and author of the urgent new book, Socialist Manifesto, The Case for Radical Politics in an Era of Extreme Inequality. Sunkara will be in conversation with KPFA's Sasha Lilly Monday evening, May 13th, 7.30 at First Congregational Church 2345 Channing Way in Berkeley. There's wheelchair access at this KPFA benefit. Get tickets at independent bookstores or online at brownpapertickets.com. Naomi Klein insists Sankara delivers a razor-sharp guide to socialism's history